If you are looking for a kick-ass and reliable work or gaming rig, be sure to check out falconnorthwest.com and configure the PC of your dreams. In this episode of The Full Nerd, we talk about the new Steam Deck and the state of VR. Welcome to episode 279 of The Full Nerd. Uh, I am your fill-in host for this episode, Adam Patrick Murray. Uh, I'm also joined by Mike Kreider. Mike, I'm sorry, I forgot your 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 uh, your title. What, what's your st- title over on PC World? My official title is Staff Writer. I'm also known as The Keyboard Guy, because that's like 90% of the reviews that I put out. So either one's fine. <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Mike. And thank you for uh, for the special guests that we have for this episode. Norman Chan. He is the uh, the co-founder and executive editor of Tested.com. Thank you for joining us, Norm. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a while since I've done a podcast, so this is fun. Nice. Uh, glad to have you. And, but before we get started and, and dive into these awesome topics, I, I do want to ask, uh, because you worked... You worked with uh, some of the the crew here at PC World, uh, and particularly Gordon, uh, for for a good while over on uh, Maximum PC. Uh, you know, w- when I told Gordon that you were going to be on the show, he was like, "Hey, get Norm to show off his tricorder." Oh my gosh! Do you have a really oh, nice tricorder? I don't have my tricorder. Oh, oh no! I wish oh. I did. I got. Oh, and I, I know Gordon. You know, Gordon and I were both big Star Trek guys uh, back at Max PC, so I think it, I would not want to bring on a Star Wars prop, even though I have those more <laughs> within arm's reach, you know, lightsaber, Mandalorian's blaster. Um, so I, out of respect for Gordon, I will, I will withhold on the, uh, on, on the Star Wars props, but I, okay. gosh, I wish I had, I wish I had some more Star Trek props. Um, you know what? I do. Are I you do. do? Give me one second. No, 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 I have a Star Trek prop. It. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deeper dive. I'm, I'm excited for it. Oh boy. I, this is this is a special treat. If you're an audio listener, you should definitely uh, tune in for for the the video episode. What what do, what do you got here? Uh, what do we got? Okay, okay. I'm gonna give crystal? you guys a, a second to guess. This this is a crystal of some kind. If you're okay. if you're watching the live stream, uh, some people have looked at this and guessed. Is it is it the dark crystal? Is it the shard? It's not the dark crystal. Um, it's actually one of those things that even the hardest core of Star Trek fans, and this I'm talking about Star Trek Next Generation fans, of course, uh, this generation. It won't even recognize, but once you see this, you can't unsee it. This is a crystal that is on Picard's ready room desk. It is on his desk throughout the series. If I asked you to list all the objects in his ready room, probably like the fish tank, the replicator, Paul <laughs> Gray, you know, he has his pad. But he has a variety of little things that they've set dressed, and one of them is this crystal. It's never really explained, I think, what it is. It's just like, a, you know, almost like a paperweight, but it's wow. there. And this is a perfect replica of it that was created for the Roddenberry Company a couple of years ago. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love it. And I have it on my desk. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, well, Gordon is in the chat. Uh, he says, Norm. Uh, <laughs> and I will say, you know, like you, you've known Gordon longer than I have. Uh, but even in the time that I, I know Gordon, he, he doesn't he never comes across as like jealous of things. But when he brought up that tricorder thing and, I, and yeah. probably for this, too, he was he was just like like I got that little tinge of, of Gordon jealousy in there. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds like you got all the cool props. Cool. I, I, I have a, a, there are many props and I have a few. I definitely have a lot, a 
<laughs> We're high-functioning right. quarters over here. <laughs> Speaking as a super uh, Star Trek nerd myself, i got to show off a little something that I've got here oh, that also comes from the Roddenberry Company, officially licensed. Uh, it is the official oh. Galaxy Class uh, keycap set I've here with I my custom-made that- keyboard. Oh, I yeah. Have it on my keyboard as well. Hey, in the very background. nice. Yes. Dang, we, yep. we got yes, a Star Trek crew are here. Sweet. <laughs> they are. And they're hard to find, too. They haven't made them in, what, since, I want to say, at least five years? Yeah, and both they uh, a couple of printings. The, the crystal, and actually, the uh, designer for many of those props uh, was uh, Norbauer, Ryan Norbauer, who oh, yeah. uh, does uh, custom keyboards, and he produced those Galaxy Class, uh, the key sets, um, and, and a bunch of other awesome Star Trek props. He's a super Star Trek prop replicating nerd. Dang, that's yeah, awesome. I wish I had bought those uh, isolinear chips when they had them going in that little stand, but uh, <laughs> didn't quite have the liquidity at the time. <laughs> well, y- you know what I hope I can buy uh, soon is the Steam Deck OLED. Now, Norm, y- you don't you don't have to wait in a pre-order line like a schlubs. Uh, you actually went up to Valve's headquarters to check it out. Oh, you, and you got it. Yep. So yeah, right there. Yeah, you you have an awesome video uh, uh, on the tested channel. Uh, go over and subscribe. Tested Adam Savage tested on uh, on YouTube. Uh, you have a review video up. Really good video, Norm. Um, I link to it in the description if people want to watch it. Um, but g- give me a, a quick little high level for people who don't know uh, what the what the Steam Deck is. Is this the Steam Deck two? Or it's not the Steam Deck two. You know, it is. Uh, it's I, I guess. They wouldn't even call it the Steam Deck 1.5, but it's there hmm. in their minds. The definitive first generation Steam Deck is how they described it. It's a hmm. Steam Deck they said they wish they could have shipped if they had the extra time uh, a year ago. Um, of course, it's you know handheld gaming PC, right? Full power of a gaming PC uh, running Steam OS and their Steam Deck interface. Uh, it's Linux based, but you can install Windows on it. Uh, it competes with. And all the other handheld game PCs that are now on the market, like ROG Ally, the Lenovo Legion Go, uh, but Steam Deck's been—it's been what, what it shipped February of last year, so it's almost wow. almost going to be two-year anniversary. Announced you know, way back in 2021, even uh, that summer of 2021, and back then, uh, as you guys I'm sure have talked about, they made a very particular set of design decisions for. Uh, how they wanted the games to perform, right? They had multiple challenges. They wanted a uh, handheld form factor. It was large at the time. Like when we saw it compared to like a Nintendo Switch, Steam Deck, when I first saw it, it's like, wow, this is a really beefy thing. But the reason it's so heavy and big is because it runs at full power, whether plugged in or not plugged in, which in the world of portable gaming devices, like gaming laptops, is not something that's doable. Uh, <laughs> right. So a, a 25-watt, um, at load, although it really goes up to 27, 28 watts at full capacity, um, a TDP uh, handheld gaming device, and running at their target resolution of 1280 by 800 resolution. Uh, when I first reviewed that Steam Deck last year, you know, it ran so many games so well, surprisingly, like the uh, GTA V, all these kind of Xbox One class series of games, mm-hmm. you know, games that came out in the three or four five years ago, uh, and even some newer games, like last year, like Elden Ring got Steam Deck verified, and at launch could run at... Cyberpunk had a, a Steam Deck preset? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so I think huge success on their part in terms of uh, its reception by gamers, uh, even people who aren't traditionally hardcore PC gamers, for them, maybe it was their first gaming PC, right? Maybe they, they've had game consoles, and this is the first device, and this kind of operates like 
a console in some ways, right? It's very easy to use. You just log on to your Steam account. You're, you know, they've made all the compatibility stuff pretty seamless for the most part, um, and still plenty of room to tinker uh, if you really want to dive into it. So I think they were really surprised by how successful uh, it was and how game developers have really kind of latched onto it as well with all the presets, uh, and it gave them a chance a year and a half later to refresh not just the screen but kind of everything under the hood. The teardowns that we've seen so far have been pretty revealing and eye-opening um, for what they've done. Well, so the screen, yep. Real quick, um, the so earlier you said this is the, like the definitive version of this, the original of Steam the Deck. Gen 1. Steam yeah, Deck. yeah. Exactly. Does that, does that, do you think that means that there will be no more revisions of Gen 1 Steam Deck, that whatever we see next will be Steam Deck 2? Uh, barring any big technical issues you mm-hmm. know when steam deck launched there was the the whole thing with the fan uh they had different suppliers for the fan the fan curve was such that it got really loud real fast uh and so pc gamers are going to nitpick and they had kind of sussed out that some models maybe were uh use a, a fan that was a little louder a little noisier it got to a little more annoying pitch range um but so i think under the hood they made you know kind of subtle iterative changes just on the in their supply supply chain uh, which they probably maybe could do if anything comes up for for this oled model but in terms of like a definitive we're making an announcement big drastic changes i don't see anything changing until they do a steam deck too and and so the the big headlining thing is obviously the screen uh i I definitely want you to dig into that because obviously it's one of those things you need to see to kind of like (laughs) wrap your head around uh but also i i I wouldn't me personally like dismiss the other changes like sure they're small and not as significant as the screen but you know let's let's definitely dig into some of those and let's start with the screen so like how 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 would you compare this would you compare this to like the switch oled uh in terms of you know how nice that screen is or yeah, I'd say Switch OLED was a really nice high bar uh, in terms of just the, the quality of an OLED screen. I would say this is even better because uh, it has HDR support now mm. as well. So it's a mm. thousand nits of brightness. And, you know, since reviews came out and since I reviewed it last week, uh, there have been some discussion about the, um, the, the, the difference between the 512 gigabyte version and the one terabyte version of the OLED Steam Deck because they have different uh, etched glass, you know, surface coatings. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the one terabyte version, which is the one that's not as glossy, so it's maybe not as vibrant or you know high contrast as the five twelve gigabyte. But to me, to my eyes, this is like a perfect gaming PC screen. Um, one of the issues I'd had with the first generation, that very first launch Steam Deck, was not just the the black levels being not as you know dark as OLED, but uneven backlighting, mm-hmm. and I would see a little bit of just that. You know, on the edge, the the white spots, um, and here there's none of that. It's a larger screen, also, so 7.4 inch versus 7 inch, uh, which means lower pixel density because same resolution, 1280 by 800. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, this is one of the highest quality uh, screens I've seen on on any handheld device. They're really proud of the color representation as well. It's well over you know 110 percent, um, and. Uh, and the HDR, which this how you achieve the max brightness at 1,000 nits, um, it's really seamless as well how they've integrated it. I know you guys do HDR on you know, laptops and, and PC monitors, and Windows can be sometimes finicky, and you have to make sure it's enabled. And the Windows side for the 
settings even surface in the settings menu uh, here on the games I tested that have HDR compatibility, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, Cyberpunk or uh, Red Dead Redemption or Lego Star Wars, like it automatically turns on. There's a little signifier in the menu for brightness, and it just looks really, really great with that <laughs> HDR OLED screen. Uh, yeah, actually, that was going to be my next question. Uh, before we get to it, uh, can you give me a, just a little bit more gain on your mic? Uh, we have yeah, somebody yeah, in the, the chat asking for just a little bit more. Um, the So, yeah, because obviously Windows is kind of, for gaming, is notorious to have some some hiccups when it comes to HDR. That was going to be my question of like, okay, I'm, I'm just so you know, I'm not a Linux person. Uh, so, you know, and, and then... Me neither, actually. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know about the Linux side of things. Obviously, I use a Steam Deck. But yeah, that, like, is it, is it something you can apply to games that don't even have official HDR support? Or is this only for games that have official HDR support? Only games that have official HDR support okay. without the HDR. Um, in the game side, it maxes out at 600 nits, which is still, I think, 50% brighter uh, than the 400 nits of the original one. Um, and it's bright. And I think since launch, you know, they've done over you know, a couple hundred different updates on the, the Steam Deck software side, uh, including HDR compatibility, uh, but also you're allowed to tune the, the vibrance. You know, previously, gamers had to apply uh, plugins, you know, your, your decky plugins to, to just boost up the vibrance. Uh, Hades was a game that really made great benefit of that. Uh, but in the Steam Deck software now, you can change kind of the, the color vibrance and also even the, the temperature of the screen. Um, uh, so you can tune it to look pretty great even without native HDR compatibility. Okay. And, and so, yeah, the, so the screen, we're, we're talking about OLED, really nice panel, a little bit larger, uh, HDR. Uh, also, a, a little bit higher refresh rate so i think yeah, there, there might yeah. be a lot of people who would like scoff at like ah going from 60 to 90 <laughs> that's nothing i've got a 360 hertz monitor on my desk do you can you feel 60 to 90 you norm so, like yeah well, what's interesting I'm, I'm not running games at 90 frames per second to be honest right like i'm capping for battery life purposes i'm capping my frame rate uh there's a really great sweet spot on the first steam deck um where uh, people found that 40 FPS was that great screen spot. Even though it's closer to 30 frames per second than 60, the math is such that the gains on the uh, the response time, uh, you get more than 50% you know, gain. Um, so without taxing the graphics uh, too much, uh, you could achieve 40 FPS while getting feeling more responsive than 30, way more responsive than 30 FPS and not needing to go to 60. Um, here... I'm running uh, basically either uh, frame doubling or frame tripling, which is now an automated thing. So the screen actually you can set on a per game basis or on a system wide basis what the refresh rate of the screen is for your frame rate cap. It's one slider by default. And so, for example, if I have my frame rate cap to 30 frames per second, uh, it will render that frame three times. And the screen actually, with all the other elements, will run at 90 hertz uh, while the game will top out at 30 frames per second on on the gpu load side so uh, yeah obviously i i don't have my hands on it but is this this isn't the same thing as like nvidia's dlss like frame generation it's not actually drawing new frames it's more like it's, it's not no okay, no okay. but it's allowing the screen to run at it's closer to native resolution and so it's the the differences are it's i'd say more perceptible on like the input side right because uh and 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 less so the, the rendering side, so your games are still going to look essentially like your 30 FPS max, but the system itself 
is actually running at the full full resolution. Uh, and so you can run it at you know 40 FPX cap with then 80 uh, 80 hertz refresh. Uh, and I found that 45 FPS is a nice sweet spot for a lot of a lot of uh, AAA games that you know your Steam Deck settings uh, and then the the screen running at 90 hertz. Hmm, nice. And just to confirm, there's no VRR in this new panel, correct? No, no. Yeah. So it's not dynamic. Uh, VRR, that's a big thing with uh, RGLA, right? 120 hertz where it could scale up and down as needed. Um, and here it's you're kind of set per uh, you're set with your frame cap and your refresh cap. And it stays that way throughout the entire session. Did, did they did they comment? Did Valve comment on why they weren't able to get it in this panel? Not sh- I, I, I'm not sure. It, it pro- I'm not sure it's a controller issue or a panel sourcing issue, uh, hmm. but that's, that's what they ended up with. Um, I think people who've dove into just the, the on, on looking at the background and, and the software updates have found that you know they actually source these screens from two suppliers, um, and like the first Steam Deck, it's actually a portrait-oriented screen that they shift and rotate. So if you uh, turn on, you know uncapped you know, turn off vsync and have screen tearing on your screen tears are actually vertical, vertical. Not, not mm-hmm. horizontal is there is there already a narrative out there of like oh man you you want to look at the barcode and and get this right panel you, you don't want to, the one sourced from x vendor versus y vendor not yet not okay. not among the reviewers i mean I, i've only seen you know the 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 units they had at valve hq when i visited all all looked to my eye the same so okay. i'm sure you know, going uh, having learned from the differences with their fan suppliers, I'm sure that they have a high high quality control here. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, is there is there anything else on the screen before before we move on that I'm forgetting? I think I think that's it. I mean, um, yeah, it consumes a lot less power, which I'm, I'm sure the next thing we'll talk about is battery life and, and what that allows for. But you know, not having that full backlight on. You know, an, an OLED screen, it's not like, you know, if you have the OLED screen and it's a full white scene, it will consume more power than a full black scene. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's about, you know, what, what type of game you're playing. Um, but in general, uh, I found that the OLED screen just consumed less power, less wattage, uh, even when the CPU and the APU was at load. And speaking of the APU, it did get a die shrink from 7 nanometer yeah. to 6 nanometer. But with that, they focused on efficiency. Right. And I mean, like how much could, could you tell how much of that battery savings was from the panel versus the, the die shrink? Or is it just kind of a mixture of both that we get the benefit of? It, it's a mixture of both. But you, I mean, the Steam Deck is really funny because it's the it's the only gaming system where I'm I'm doing math when I'm playing games the whole time. <laughs> I get a little bit of extra math homework, which I actually I love it because like, you know, uh, just just by sheer point of comparison, I recently also reviewed the um the PlayStation Portal, right? That's mm-hmm. their handheld uh, streaming, you know, remote play device, and uh, it's complete opposite of the Steam Deck. It doesn't run games locally, you know, but it's kind of that switch form factor. But my point is that, like, on the the PlayStation, uh, the Portal, you have a battery indicator that's like your old school three bar battery indicator. We're like, huh. oh, three bars, okay. Uh, two hours in, it's two bars, and I don't know how many, how much power. Oh no, one bar. Is that another hour left? Like you're kind of playing guess you know this guessing game of like of how much power you have left um, and that's so different from how we think about using mobile devices whether it's you know your smartphone or even something like a nintendo switch um with the steam deck you get the most granular info like if you want it like you can like 
I know people who not just adjust brightness, but adjust their game settings, you know, cap out their TDP just to squeeze out 10, 15 minutes more of battery time uh, because you can see the total wattage that's being used at every given moment. And it delineates it down to, uh, you know, how many watts the CPU is using on the APU side, the GPU. Um, and how much the rest of the system is doesn't tell you like the screen or the, the motors or anything like that, the haptics, um, but you kind of can do the math. Um, and on the APU side, it has a same theoretical cap at 15 watts mm-hmm. as that first Steam Deck, plugged in or unplugged in. I never saw it go above 14 watts on the APU side here playing games at load. Basically, it's like a watt of, of savings, which is... Compared to the first Steam Deck, um, and that's like generally speaking, um, anecdotally, and that's just that's considerable playing these same games uh, with even slightly better performance, you know, a frame or two extra on benchmarks um, per second. Uh, so I think it is considerable that, that efficiency they got with uh, the die shrink, um, which I, I'm, I'm really curious also is like how, how much that cost them or how much effort that was. Because with that first right. APU, the Aerith APU, it wasn't just the same APU that AMD had been shipping out to, to partners. Uh, it was custom made. You know, there's a Valve logo on it. And you know, was this a case where they went back to AMD and AMD said, "Oh, you know, we're moving off of six nanometer. We're going to five. You know, we're only off of seven. We're going to six nanometer for you know most of our cost efficient processes." Uh, but it's not just like you can just pull a switch and suddenly you get a, a die shrink, right? Like right. even though you have, you may have your rdna2 design your your zendu architecture design that's that's like tried and true like the blueprint of the chip itself you have to still create your you know your, your, your um your um your wafers you have to map that out with your blueprint like your tape it out you do the whole tape out mm-hmm. and you know there are reports on like the apple side that the tape out on their three nanometer chips are that's a billion dollar investment just on the drawing of the the blueprint of the chips to make sure it's manufactured <laughs> properly. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's not that case here, but like, did Valve make that investment? Did Valve go to AMD and say, we really want this architecture in this die process and this efficiency uh, for Steam Deck OLED, and we're willing to shell out, you know, tens of millions or whatever it is to make that happen? Because uh, it's an investment. I, the, the point right. is that it's, it was not just a off-the-shelf thing. Uh, very, dis- very, uh, it, it, the decision that was you know, that they made um, uh, for this very uh, discrete purpose. Well, and, and they didn't have to, right? I mean, I, mean, I think there could have been a, a, a path where they, they didn't do that change, and people probably would have been like, oh, cool, nicer screen, awesome. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of what happened with the Switch, right? Uh, and people, I mean, I, I even upgraded my <laughs> Switch to the OLED one as well. So, like, I, like it seems like it went a little bit more above and beyond. And, and it's not, not just that too. It's like the internals are, are completely rethought and reworked. Some of them are very subtle, uh, kind of changes, but, and some of them are in the name of, uh, um, repairability, which, which is obviously a big deal. How much, how much did they talk to you about taking feedback of repairability and applying it to this new design? Yeah. I, I think they know that people are taking these things apart. They know that uh, the repair video was so important for them for uh, for the first Steam Deck launch. You know, a partnership with iFixit for part supply. And they know where the, the pain points were. Um, they knew people were buying 65, 64 gigabyte E MMC modules and the, the, that model, and then swapping in you know one terabyte, two terabyte drives. 
um, and people were swapping out the whole chassis. You know, there's there were translucent chassis and people were modifying them. There was even like a deck, like a screen, a third party screen that you can you can get. Um, the screen replacement, like they reconfigured the whole thing where you can replace the screen without having to remove the back of it now. The battery is a, a different design, and even though the the form factor of the the main board is the same form factor, things they, they've reconfigured things. I, I think I watched the the gamer Nexus tear down and t- just talk about reorienting where the you know the controllers are for uh, the power ICs. Where that's where a big heat point is. Mm. They've spread things out further. You know they've consolidated memory modules um, and just made all these things tidier uh, in the interest of not frame rate performance, but for, for temperature performance, um, so that the thing doesn't get as hot, um, you know, on, on the back in this contra- concentrated spot. Um, these really nice things to have. I mean, these these are not simple simple changes. It requires lots of engineering time um, and to keep in the form factor. So to resist changing the form factor, to say we're going to make this not leave out the people who invest, bought a Steam Deck last year, but mm. put all these engineering resources into optimizing and optimizing and optimizing. Um, that's a really specific decision choice. And w- once again, not not just to optimize to make a second version, but to to make a you know a, a refresh. And, and I don't mean that um, in a, a negative way, but you know a refresh of the Steam Deck <laughs> uh, is in my mind you know mind blowing. Uh, so I mean, obviously, a lot of this comes from ha- having finally put it out in the wild and getting that feedback. Uh, obviously, when the Steam Deck originally launched, a lot of people were like, eh, you know, Valve doesn't have the greatest track record of hardware. We'll see how this goes. Um, c- could you get a sense of, like, uh, Valve just being like, hey, wow, we didn't realize that this thing was going to take off the way it did? Uh- <laughs> yeah, I, I think they had really high hopes for it. It was a big investment even last year. Like, it, it wasn't, they, they weren't dipping their toes in it. It was full-fledged. They launched it, you know, they, they've shipped, I think they've said millions of units now, um, and you see it everywhere. We've seen you know, like more mainstream gamers adopt it. Celebrities have them. Uh, we, we see them in photos like Imagineers using them to control droids, prototype droids at, at Galaxy's Edge, right? Because it's a full-fledged you know, uh, Linux computer that you can install anything on with, uh, with these analog controls um, and, and lots, of, lots of input options. Uh, in fact, the only thing I, I think... You know, the, I, I would wish to have seen them do is maybe have more than one USB-C port, right? Just mm-hmm. not just one port. I know that port does a lot of heavy lifting, not just for charging it, but with the dock, you know, Ethernet and other USB and, and all that stuff. And uh, But again, this is their very specific decision not to change the fundamental experience of owning a Steam Deck between the first launch one and and the OLED model. Um, but I think to answer your question, like uh, when I talked to Valve, they, they said they were definitely surprised by the reception and it kind of galvanized them internally. Uh, more people internally are interested in working on it. So it's, it's always great. You know, they, there's momentum, right? I think uh, it's a kind of company, uh, such a flat company where people get to work on whatever uh, they want to work on. Uh, and when you have a lot of enthusiasm and people kind of, and, and you know, putting their just time and resources uh, into into this, you can actually feel that with all the updates and all that support that they put into it. 
Well, where, where do you think this momentum takes them? Because uh, they've obviously gone on the record to say, hey, you know what, we're still a couple years out uh, from the Steam Deck 2. Obviously, they're they're waiting for, for uh, better APU performance, I think, to, to really give it a, a big refresh. Do you think the momentum continues that way, or do you think they're going to be like, hey, you know what, maybe we, we go back and take a, a crack at Steam machines. Now, now we get the hardware <laughs> thing figured out. <laughs> I think I think it's going to all, uh, Steam Deck too. I think absolutely. Uh, the big question is, does it stay this form factor? Does it stay this screen resolution? Does and they talk about this being the new baseline for performance. They don't want that to to change. Hmm. Um, it's if they come out in two years in 2025 and they launch a handheld with let's presume OLED screen uh, and the same resolution of 1280 by 800. How will that be received mm. when you, we know their competitors are happy to put, you know, 1080p screens all these devices? And you know, as as those panels get cheaper, maybe put even higher resolution just for the option, right? It's not like gamers need to run uh, games at those resolutions, um, but here they're not giving people the option because they want that out of the box console like baseline experience to be the same for everyone. Um, and if they decide to, well, maybe 1080 is a, a nice bump up, and and the uh, and, and gamers want that, and the games can can hit those frame rates. Then, are you where? What is the goalpost for the uh, for the power draw? Um, are they sticking to a uh, 25 watt over overall uh, unit? You know, will battery chemistry get better? They have a 50 watt hour battery now, so I don't think they want to release a device that's going to have less than two hours of battery life at load. Um, that seems to be a nice sweet spot for at load and when you're running something not at load well into six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours of battery. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to, I think they'll have to make the decisions based on what the, what hardware and tech is available. Like in two years, I'm sure they're keeping an eye on this. If for some reason, you know, AMD is slow to get to three nanometers for, for this, like, will that force them to wait? And or will they make a tough decision and say we'll go with, you know, either a bigger battery or a different profile device? You know, these are all things that you know, I'm super curious about. Hmm. Sorry, Mike, I'm hogging the the questions. Did did you have anything uh, <laughs> popping off the top of your head? Um, I've I've investigated most of the stuff. I haven't been able to get my hands on a Steam Deck, but I think that's going to have to change with the with the with the the improvements they've made. What I'm really curious about, and it makes me seem shallow, but I want to talk about the special edition they have with the, the translucent <laughs> casing yeah. and the red trim. Because, Matt, that, that's just such a hot look. It reminds me of, of all the Nintendo stuff from the 90s, the Game Boy Color, a lot of the N64 stuff. Even uh, my very favorite console ever is the sports edition of the Dreamcast with that same sort of black translucent plastic. So if you have it, man, I got to see it. I don't have it. That's the one. Unfortunately, I was only able to see it, see it there. They say super limited quantities. Uh, they expect yeah. it to sell out when it goes on sale tomorrow. Uh, no, in two days. Sorry, the 16th. Yeah, I was about to say, um, I was like, tomorrow? Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> so my yeah, alarm. Uh, <laughs> Change the schedule. The 16th. And it's, it's a little bit pricier. Uh, they said it wasn't easy. Was was the biggest, my biggest takeaway to, from the make really? that. You, you'd think that it would just swap out some components and just having different colorway screws and, 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 and the thumbsticks. Uh, but they said the actual plastic itself to go to translucent plastic, they had to go with a different formulation of, of the casting. 
uh, oh, wow. uh, stronger polycarbonate. Because once, once you go translucent, uh, things can get a little more brittle or just not durable. And for these type of devices where you have to survive some amount of you know, use and abuse, uh, it, it wasn't easy. So they said the learnings of that, uh, if it's a success, and I fully expect it to be a success for, for users, um, they'll probably push it forward. And I can absolutely see colorways. You know, maybe it's not that they change and it's a Steam Deck OLED 1.7 before Steam Deck 2, but another limited edition colorway, that's something I could see, an aesthetic difference, you know, for a special occasion, I could see them doing that. Well, because if they've already done all the work to figure out the translucent plastic for this version, you know, maybe they want to use that in the future. Okay, well, that makes right. me feel better just in case I don't get that pre-order. Uh, <laughs> how, um, many, how many hundreds of different flavors of the Game Boy and DS and Switch has Nintendo put out? Mm-hmm. It's got to be on somebody's mind at Valve. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what I would love for them to do is to, to make those parts available. You know, if they're oh, no, gonna, that's nice, right? Yeah. If they have a partnership with iFixit and they have replacement the thumbsticks, you know, give us the option to have different thumbstick colors, right? That that would be cool. Um, yeah, I would love that. Uh, well, a, a couple more questions. Uh, so you talked about the baseline. So I, I was uh, kind of curious to see that that the baseline. Well, they still have the three price points, not not including the special edition one. They they still have the three price price points, but they kind of shifted. Uh, shifted the things down for that that baseline one. The four hundred dollar one no longer has EM, EMMC memory, uh, and then the 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 capacity for the the storage kind of shifts up on each of them. I I guess at the at the most basic level, I I didn't think they would stick around with an LCD version of the Steam Deck, but I, I mean, assuming that's just for cost reasons to continue to have that that four hundred dollar version i think so i think so uh cost reason and it's yeah you're it is interesting because the other lc versions are phasing out in fact like 350 bucks for the 64 gig version is a pretty sweet deal if you don't mind opening it up and swapping in you know for 100 bucks get a terabyte nvme drive mm-hmm. to put in there uh but really that 512 gigabyte launch model which was the high-end one that got discounted by 200 dollars. and so for 450 bucks you can get the 512 gig original steam deck which i think that's a a steal of a price i also personally paid the extra upcharge for all the benefits of oled um but that means they're still going to their suppliers and and making that 256 gig model they're still sourcing lcds or making that main board like Mm -hmm. like we talked about this is not just a swap out screen that is it's it's a big it's gonna be a cost for them to keep that low end so maybe that's something i could see them phasing out and just simplifying to to two models in the future um, to change up the lineup, but this is the lineup I now I think right now to just have some product segmentation. Um, it's the the difference between five twelve and one terabyte. Honestly, in storage, I find inconsequential. I'm using I have a nice little you know pack of uh, micro SD cards. Mm. Um, all you know, and there you can get those at a one point five terabytes at this point. And performance wise, loading a game off of a micro SD card versus internal storage, it's not really a meaningful difference for. For, uh, for for actual gameplay, uh, mm. loading times slightly different, but when you're in the game, not at all. They're qu- of course the depending on the the quality of micro SD cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, so Gordon's in the chat uh, still, and and he he seems to feel like he doesn't quite understand how this thing can be a niche, but also be su- such a success. Obviously, the Switch is like one of the best you know selling consoles of all time so it's hard to judge anything against the switch but 
in his mind he still feels like well okay well, the switch is mainstream but the how mainstream is this thing like yeah, it, like, yeah i don't think it's gonna be as mainstream as the switch like the switch is a, on a whole different level it's this most successful one of the most successful consoles ever made sort of like the ps2 right like you know, nintendo really hit jackpot with their design um Steam Deck, I think, it's really tough as a category, right? Because it's a subset of PC gamers who I think they are really smart. Steam being 20 years old now, you have 20 years of people, here's the cliche, buying games on Steam and not playing them, buying games on Steam sales and just building up their library because that's it, it, it's been so much of their success story of these annual sales and you know, numerous times throughout the year. Uh, this is now a way, kind of the excuse for you to play all those games, right? So you're you're kind of paying this extra bit of hardware, but then you're uh, unlike buying a new handheld console, you're not needing to to buy sixty dollars games. You have this library that's already there. Like that's one of the big value propositions yeah. of Steam Deck. Um, whether or not it reaches more into this quote unquote mainstream, um, where someone would go in and consider you know, buying a Switch OLED or entry level Steam Deck. I think that kind of really, that's a more of a cultural thing that's kind of honestly in the, the, uh, the, 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 the classrooms and playgrounds of, of the younger generation. It's kind of like what, what, gets, what gets word and traction there. And um, one of the lessons I've learned over these years is uh, a, thing that can, a thing can irrationally get very popular with a younger generation and just catch like wildfire. Um, even if it may not be like the best or most viable product for them. I mean, just think about like AirPods, uh, just as signifiers of what's cool. Um, and that, that's a place where I could see, you know, kids wanting to get their parents to buy them Steam Decks as opposed to Switch, if that just becomes the cool thing to get. Hmm. But, I mean, it still comes down to the games, though, too. I mean, if, if you want to play Nintendo games, they ain't coming yeah. to the Steam Deck. Uh, unless you emulate or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's another angle coming in from this, too. Uh, because for the longest time, for a, more than a decade, uh, Sony and Microsoft have been terrified to step up to Nintendo on the on the portable stuff. And even though Nintendo has come in and made their home console portable and considerably more powerful, we're still looking at a lot of gamers who like maybe started with the Game Boy when they were kids because that's sold you know a hundred million units over its lifetime up to the DS. They go into the Xbox or the PlayStation, whatever iteration they've got going on, but they want something more that is also portable. And you've got Nintendo with Nintendo's very specific and wonderful library of games, but is also somewhat self-limiting. They've decided not to focus on that third-party stuff. You're not getting the latest stuff from Activision, the latest stuff from from EA. And here comes Valve with a full-on gaming computer that looks very much like a Switch, coming in from an entirely separate angle to get a market that Microsoft and Sony have been terrified to chase for so long. I think that might be getting in a lot of these gamers. Yeah, it, it speaks to the strength, I think, in, in content and the power of Nintendo's first-party games. You know, they have you know, decades of just of, of the most impeccable game design, and they're sacrificing absolutely a performance here. I mean, the first, the, the Switch is a, a it was a generations old SOC NVIDIA Tegra when it launched, right? In 2016, yeah. which is still running it now. So you're talking about not only, you know, the smart decisions they made um, to allow for games like Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild to be playable on that uh, decision for them to allow for a performance bump when you're plugging it in so you can run games at 1080 versus 
at uh, this lower resolution, the 720 uh, resolution on the, the handheld version. Those are super, super smart decisions that Nintendo made, uh, and just a reliance on first-party game design and first-party optimizations, uh, where games can aesthetically and gameplay-wise be extremely compelling. I mean, games like Super Mario Wonder look fantastic, but that's art design, not rendering capacity. Um, and Microsoft doesn't want to play in that space because they want to optimize for AAA. They want to sell, you know, $60 games that run on Series X and on, on, on xCloud. Uh, X um, and so it's interesting that Valve, who is also, you know, one of their big pillars is game design, and they they don't want to they, they don't want to make you know they want they want to go for uh, a uh, an optimized Nintendo style you know a Steam Deck exclusive game either uh, they just want uh, PC gaming like this is an x86 system fundamentally different right it is like it is the entire library of the history of PC games so far um, compatibility wise uh, you know uh, running uh, on, on on Linux OS. Yeah, which is a huge strength. Uh, before we run out of time, I, I, I do want to get to the, the VR stuff, but I, I have one last question, a, a very interesting from a uh, friend of the show, Ivan R- Romanazov, over on uh, on Discord. Um, I, I, I don't know how closely you follow the RTX uh, 40 series launch, but there was that whole thing about the two versions of the, the RTX 4080. Um so his question is, uh, why was the RTX 4080 12 gig uh, called deceiving uh, when the Steam Deck OLED is not? Uh, it's the same name, allegedly, you know, the, the screen is different and obviously some, some things in there, but essentially it's still a name with a differentiator on it. But it's it's kind of a different product. I Do you... Do you think this is going to lead to any confusion by having it called Steam Deck OLED versus Steam Deck version number or something like that uh i don't think so it's it's the it's the thing that you experience the most it's a lot less sexy than steam deck battery life plus right Which, <laughs> <laughs> right steam deck four hours of gameplay versus you know three hours um and and it, it's it's how people interface with the device um so i think it's it's it really borrows from the switch marketing if you understand understand switch and switch oled both things are still sold right now you're paying a little more for the quality of life improvements of having a better screen. So it's quality of life improvements um, is the umbrella term here. Uh, and I, I think uh, that's why that's why the reviews out there, that's why they invited journalists <laughs> to, to cover it, to help help clarify. Uh, it's much less confusing to go back to, you know, the, the PlayStation, the the portal, and, and what that device does. Like, that's not been very clear. Oof, yeah. Remote play versus a... Yeah. And in... And in the context of a product launch, NVIDIA really you know, biffed it in, ter- in terms of those two cards, not clearly or, or perhaps as openly communicating that this was a different product with a different die design going in. Whereas here, Steam OLED, you got a year and a half later, they've made improvements. They've learned things that they needed to know. It's understandable that you've made an upgraded product while still very much within the same range of capability as the original one. So yeah, I, I think that's something yeah. that people can can get onto very easily. Yeah, the, yeah, that, yeah I think that's yeah, why I would I think make it right. different. Yeah, yeah. it's because it, it's, it's not segmentation for segmentations. Like, it, it is a like if I think if they had if they could, all their Steam Decks would be OLED. Everyone would have the Steam Deck OLED. That's the one they wish everyone had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
uh well uh, I, I could talk about the steam deck forever uh but i i do want to switch over to to vr because i, I think that's uh, an interesting topic and and i i see you uh and e- even gordon does as well as like one of the preeminent vr experts out there right now so i uh, like we've had a lot of de- debate uh over over the years of like where where vr is how it kind of launched like there was so much hype around the launch everyone was so excited and then all of a sudden it just like is like some people are like, wait, is it still around? But then you still have some people who are like, oh, I love it. I use it all the time. Like, so you you reviewed the MetaQuest 3 recently. That's that's the new one over there. You got your hands on uh, Apple's Vision Pro. So I, I guess just to, to, to kind of kick this off, like, where do you think we are right now? Do you think it's a healthy spot? Do you think it's dying? <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think that we're it's finally finally hitting its stride. It took a long while for this uh, for for VR to get to a place, and I think there are these milestones for the devices. You know, the first launch of uh, VR devices, whether it's on the, you know, the HTC Vive or the first Rift, right? Those those were transformative experiences because we never had this type. It was purely science fiction. The thing, this headset that you could put on that gave you positional tracking and you know, motion controls in a, in a six degree freedom way. Uh, that was, that's still, I think so many people in the world have not experienced that, but there's a spectrum of VR experiences. You had all the way down to, you know, Google cardboard. You know, it makes me think a lot of what people are, this, this AI debate right now, like AI is this umbrella term that encompasses so much of what uh, people are doing with large data sets. Um, and VR, I think, as well, you know, encompassing all of mixed reality, whether it's mm-hmm. on the pass-through AR side, um, to all the way down to just media viewing opportunities, but like the, the Google Cardboard was. And I don't want to say things like Google Cardboard like poisoned the well, but definitely I think set a different expectation, when, including you know, the Samsung Gear VR headsets, um, so to what VR could be. Um, they were very novel, right, and they allowed people to, to get a, a little bit of a taste of what you know, tracked head movement could do for viewing media and playing some games, but those were never meant to be like devices that you're going to use even as a third screen device to live alongside a PC, a phone and a computer, a phone and, 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 and something on your day to day. So when I say VR hitting its stride, I think the hardware is there now. And that's thanks to a tremendous amount of investment made by, you know, primarily let's be honest meta, right. Um, in, in, um, making uh, taking a loss on hardware with the, the Quest 2 um, and now putting all the learnings of that and uh, their partnership with Qualcomm into the Quest 3, uh, you have really like serviceable and, and playable and enjoyable um, uh, games, media experiences, comfort pass-through environments, and ergonomics on the device, honestly. So uh, I'm in VR. I can be in VR for one two hours time I, I enjoyed watching i love watching movies in vr so i have like a plex server set up and i'm streaming you know movies 4k movies i've ripped onto in the headset and it is it's the full like imax experience at home um and the pixel the screens the clarity of the lenses all these like building blocks of technologies that they have to actually do the r d for and get into production I think it finally hit that stride because VR got a huge bootstrap early on just from piggybacking off of smartphones, to be honest, right? The screens that were on smartphones, mm. five-inch screens, uh, the early processing panels power. Samsung, yeah. processing power of those SOCs ramping up, uh, the IMUs, all that sensors, right? You know, the first Rift was basically a smartphone recobbled in a, 
and a form factor with a head strap. Uh, and it really couldn't sit on those laurels and rely on that track of development um, for too long, like very soon after the first headsets came out. And so you have to have these huge investments in display technology and panel technology and processing power while still reconciling with the limitations of battery physics and weight uh, and also fostering a developer community not to abandon it. Like these are these balls that are being juggled in the air. There are quite a ton of money thrown at each of those. And for Meta and for Apple and to lesser extent Google with whatever they're working on, uh, pushing that, I think it's riding the wave of, I think, renewed enthusiasm, I'd say. So if the question is, you know, whether Apple coming in with the Vision Pro has, is going to save VR, I think... That, that was Gordon's so question, like, just, to, yeah. just to be clear. Gordon <laughs> asked me, he was like, hey, Norm needs to say, can Apple save VR? I, I don't think it's about saving VR. It's more as like pushing a renewed interest and getting developers and getting the just the, the economics of it to make more sense while the user base is catching up because that's a $3,500 headset that's for businesses for maybe for enthusiasts, but like that's, that's not iPhone one technology. That is, that is, that is still it level, uh, hardware. Um, I think the, the quest three it's, you know, it's not quite there in terms of being a no brainer purchasing decision. If someone has $500 to spend this holiday season and they're looking at, a game console, a new phone, you know, uh, the Steam, Steam Deck, Deck OLED, yeah, <laughs> uh, right, exactly, uh, or a VR headset. I don't think VR headset's going to be near the top of the list unless they already have those other things, right? It's still like a luxury purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to change your day-to-day computing lifestyle, but the tech, I think, has reached that point where if you have that money to spend and you're paying 500 bucks, like, this is something that is not just a novelty anymore, that you're going to be, you can enjoy games, enjoy movies, enjoy web browsing. Uh, and it's pretty amazing, like, this idea of spatial computing. Like, I love having virtual monitors everywhere, uh, virtual web browsers. Um, it's kind of like this, this third screen experience while still not feeling like I'm isolated from the world uh, because of the pass-through, pass-through video. Well, and that's the biggest question I had coming out of the the, the Vision Pro announcement was obviously a lot of VR and it's not all of it, but the most one of one of the most biggest use cases for VR, at least up up until now, has been games, right? And a lot of people are like, "Oh, the games aren't coming out," or "I played all the games that are interesting, so you know, what am I going to do with this thing?" Where Apple, I mean, they talked about gaming uh, a little bit, but it was more of like you know having having this this new way of computing, like a like a new platform, a, a new pillar of computing, if you will. Like how how successful do you think this first generation really expensive product is going to be in doing that? For the normal user, even the Apple enthusiasts, I don't think it's going to be mm. game changing. I don't think it's going to be something that someone uses uh, unless they are a three D uh, modeler, a you know someone who needs like that's why I think the business space where uh, and it's where a lot of VR companies now. Are selling the high-end VR headsets like Vario, uh, or, or even you know, companies like Pimax. They're they're looking at where designers and engineers need the visualization, honestly, to be in, in a more spatial way. Where mm-hmm. communicating ideas in a spatial way is just that much more convenient and fluid uh, and powerful than looking at a shared you know, remote screen. 
that's where those companies can't afford to honestly spend thousands of dollars on a headset. Um, Apple's thinking absolutely of those businesses and those customers um, as a way to make the technology viable and to validate some of the R&D uh, than the end user sitting at home, you know, using you know, browsing their mm. photos app in, in VR. Um, so the vast majority of people are just going to want to have their phones you know, in front of them. So is is a good way to think of it as like the, the that initial launch of VR was kind of like a real quick race to the bottom with the cardboards and the the Samsung Gear VR and stuff and and they were trying to have like a trickle up approach like get everyone interested and then all of a sudden everything else will build off of that where maybe Apple's taking more like a trickle down approach like hey if we target and make something really good for these specific users then it'll start to trickle down to to the common user is is that what you think Yeah I think that that's something he's kind of always done right they 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 make money selling hardware and they don't want to they don't want they're not interested in a $500 VR headset you know, they're interested in people paying premium prices for premium experiences and, to be honest, to wait and develop and spend the money for the tech is there. And that's what we don't know. We don't know even when they launch next year uh, if the tech is going to be there because the Vision Pro uh, is still a stepping stone as the, the perfect version of the, the Vision Pro headset is still a pass-through video headset and not the glasses form factor that everyone is banking on eventually you know, replacing the smartphone or becoming the next trillion dollar business. Mm. Um, and, and they just are fundamentally are going to come against, you know, the technical limitations, the physics limitations of, of optics of what you can put on a glasses form factor. Uh, and they're banking on these VR slash AR mixed reality devices to keep interest going, keep developers interested, honestly, um, uh, because you have to still prove that, tracking technology and prove out, figure out the, the killer apps and use cases uh, before they get those, you know, idealized glasses, AR glasses out. Do you think, do you think they're also going to revolutionize the way uh, VR is, is, is purchased, I guess, lack of a better word, like the app store was such a huge thing for the iPhone and for, you know, smartphones going forward. Obviously, you know, like so, Meta's Met got their own uh, their own storefront. Obviously, uh, their Steam. There's just different different delivery methods. Do you think Apple's going to yeah. kind of come in and be like, "Hey, you know what? This is the place that you get you get uh, VR stuff," or or is it just going to be a walled garden thing where it's like, "Eh, this is only for Apple." One hundred percent walled garden. Thing. Oh, okay. Like, their tried and true app ecosystem is is. I mean, uh, WebXR. You have web based, you know, VR experiences, and uh, and and you can do things through the web browser. Uh, but they're looking to make money through the app store. And that's, that's you know, when you talk about the metaverse, that's what the metaverse play was for, for Meta, was hopefully building the infrastructure uh, for a commercial ecosystem for people to, to buy things. If you look at that, their launch, that video from uh, the Meta Connect conference um, a year ago, two years ago now, sorry, mm. <laughs> uh, you can see it was, it was all about like the things that you can do and honestly buy when you are in VR all the time. Like oh check it check out this outfit on me I don't I look yeah. cool uh, yeah well, use your meta bucks <laughs> <laughs> I mean this is a side tangent but I mean like do you do you think the meta metaverse is kind of like a a thing that's holding VR back right now because obviously it's kind of a joke a lot of people think metaverse that you know they think this weird. I don't know I I don't know what they think it can mean so many different things but do you think we can can try to get away from metaverse as a as a goal 
Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a question like when, when they are announcing the metaverse, who are they actually talking to? If you're talking to users, users don't care about the metaverse. Like they care about multiplayer. They care about social experiences, like the framework of like, you know, group chats, you know, uh, even MMOs or, or, or so, the digital gathering places. These things have been around since the first days of AOL chat room, right? Like it's obviously compelling. Right? These, are, these are undeniably people want to be connected in some way, whether it's real time or asymmetrically um, in digital spaces. But we just don't know if they want to be embodied in those spaces or they'd rather just have text and chat and posting photos like Facebook or, you know, or, or Instagram or TikTok, right? Um, we just don't know if being, having a physical presence virtually in those spaces is meaningful. Um, but when they are selling the metaverse, they're selling, they're selling investors. They're selling business people who say, hey, this is, a, again, a commercial opportunity for you to build, you know, to, to build a new economy where everyone here can make money. Um, and, and I understand why they're, they're pitching that, why they're selling that really hard. Uh, so it, it's, they're fighting these two fights of making it interesting for users, and I think they're losing that fight because Horizon Worlds has not been, not been a success. Uh, and maybe they're losing steam on the uh, investor side to, to convince them, the, those people, that you know, this is really a viable economy for, for the future because, again, the, the tech really isn't mm. there yet. So refocusing, making it just about what those killer app experiences are, building on the strengths of, of the tech, uh, I think is, is the right thing to do, which they've done a little with, uh, with the Quest 3. Well, with, with the Apple Vision Pro, uh and and it's high cost do you think do you think it's too expensive to get investors and users excited cuz obviously i mean it, it's going to be a pretty small base like how you know can can they get enough like interest or is it just hey you know what it's apple apple's getting into the space so now that apple's here we're going to do it yeah yeah i think investors aren't going to care cuz apple still makes money hand over fist mm-hmm. on all the other products it's more like the foot's in the door so you know Look at us, we're spending the money on the R&D. In case this does blow up, we're right there. We're not going to be caught behind, uh, which feels like they were with, with AI, right? Um, and uh, for users, uh, you know, there are enough Apple fans out there to, to be interested who are going to pick them up, you know, just, just for the social status. This is the AirPods argument again. Uh, honestly, AirPods are their... their uh, the, are their first big successful AR device? If you want to talk about, you know, technically, uh, these mm-hmm. are wearable computers that process the world and funnel audio, a, pro- a version of processed audio, um, and that's like kind of their dark horse that they they have. Um, it's kind of like what Meta's doing with the the Meta Ray Ban sunglasses. Um, yes, they can take pictures like your Snap Spectacles, but honestly, the thing that more excites me more is the it being kind of like. Uh, you know the, the version of your Tony Stark glasses with an AI with audio piped through, whether it's relaying stuff from your phone or tap into some large language model or, or some knowledge base. Well, I, I got I know we're bumping up against time. I got, I got two quick questions. Uh, number one, I, I do like to offer some practical advice. If somebody was thinking about dipping into to VR, maybe they can find some good deals on Black Friday or something. Where? How would you recommend the different headsets for people? Or is there one that you're like, hey, you know what? This is the one. Just go do this. I think the MetaQuest 3, the, the entry-level one, the 128 gig, uh, uh, $500, that's that's the one to get. Um, I wouldn't go with the Quest 2. I know Quest 2 is on sale for like 350 But honestly, if you're going to go... And, and still, it's a fine fine headset, but the 
uh, if you're new to VR, the pass-through comforts, the uh, the optical clarity of the lenses, and the uh, the balance and weight of the Quest Three means that you're going to be using it a lot more. And if you don't want something that's going to sit in your drawer, if you're going to make that investment, spend the extra money and get the get the Quest Three. Um, if you're anti-meta and just don't, no interest in that ecosystem, and maybe you just want to play games. Um, your options are a little, honestly a little more limited. There are fewer, fewer headsets out there, fewer headset manufacturers. I, I love the big screen beyond, uh, that, but that's a $1,000-plus-dollar investment with uh, you know, needing uh, lighthouse trackers. Um, and even like companies like you know, the, Pico, um, uh, the Pico 4, yeah, they're, they're good headsets, but the company may, may not be around too much longer. It's been uh, hmm. some, some turmoil there. So your options are a little, honestly, a little limited. There's a lot you can do on the Quest Three, even on the the PC gaming side. You can plug it in and run, you know, run your PC games, Steam games, Steam VR games wirelessly, wired. Like they did, they it has a great, you know, uh, Wi-Fi six E uh, modem in there. So they they didn't cripple it by any means um, uh, as an entry level VR headset, as a standalone VR headset. Hmm. Okay, and, and my last question is. Norm, where where can people go find uh, all, all the awesome stuff you do? Like like, how do you want people to consume your knowledge, Norm? Uh, <laughs> uh, just go to just, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. So it's just youtube.com slash tested. Uh, well, you can find all the links at tested.com. You can find me on social media uh, at nchan. Nice. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, Norm. It was, it was awesome chatting with you. Uh, uh, hopefully we'll get you on again uh, sometime next year because uh, yeah I could I could just I could keep chatting with you forever uh, so but thanks for stopping by absolutely thanks for having me thank you so much Adam thanks Mike and uh, have a good rest of the show yeah uh, feel free to drop and and we'll we'll talk to you later um, take care so so Mike uh, let's switch over to uh, viewer Q and A uh, but before oh, we do okay. before we do I want to talk to you about PCs. Not, right. not, not only any PC, though, we're talking about like high quality custom made rigs from Falcon Northwest. Mike, do you, do you build your own PCs? I do build my own PCs. Yes. Do you do you look down on people who uh, would rather buy a PC? Absolutely not. Uh, exactly. There are many reasons why you would want to buy a custom made system, uh, especially from somebody like Falcon Northwest because of uh, reliability, the, uh, the ease of use, like uh, in a, a work environment, uh, reliability is definitely something you don't want to just like, like gloss over because uh, Falcon Northwest uh, within the first year of purchasing one of their systems has, has this thing called Falcon Overnight uh, where if they, they try to help you troubleshoot something, if something goes wrong, they'll try to help you troubleshoot it but if, they, if, if it needs to be sent in, they will pay for overnight on both ways uh, you know, to, just to get this, the, the, the problem solved and get a working PC back uh, in your system because a lot of people who rely on, on a PC uh, for, for work Definitely don't want to deal with that downtime, uh, so the, that can be hugely, hugely beneficial. Uh, so, yeah, and, and you know what? There are plenty of people out there, and I know we don't like to talk about them a ton, but there are plenty of people out there who are like, you know what? I don't got time to build a, a rig anymore. I just want, I just want an awesome configured system, and I know it's going to be solid and working and reliable. Uh, Falcon Northwest is is one of the best in the game, uh, so you know, the, no no reason to look down on those people. Um, 
because it, maybe maybe you'll get there one day too. Maybe you'll be like, hey, you know what? I don't got time to, to build this stuff. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pay somebody else uh, to do it for me. Um, and Falcon Northwest has been doing it for literally decades. So uh, if you want to configure the uh, a dream machine uh, of your own, head over to falconnorthwest.com. They get, they got a cool configuration tool. You can kind of spec out your system uh, how you would want it and and get it made yourself. So. Uh, be sure to go check them out and thank you for sponsoring this episode of the full nerd. Um, now on to some, some questions. Uh, I've got an interesting one from a friend of the show, liquid R. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say if you are, uh, if you are in the chat right now and you have a question, please at PC world, that's the best way for, for me to see it, uh, on the scroll here. Uh, and if you're watching or listening to this later, go over to the link in our description, uh, where you can sign up for our full nerd discord. We have a channel in there for, for called full nerd questions, uh, that you can place in there and hopefully get uh, read on the show. So, um, I got one from, from front of the show, liquid R about, um, if you are looking at a specific item, PC tech or otherwise, uh, that you want to purchase that is, uh, in the thousand dollar plus range. So definitely like a big purchase. Uh, but waiting for a deal, what what is your point at which you decide to make the purchase? Is it a percentage or is it a specific dollar amount, something else? And I, I bring this up for you, Mike, because like, obviously there's a, a lot of good deals content on PCWorld.com. Um, like, so, you know, you're probably a little bit more in that space than I am. <laughs> then like, what do you think is a good time? You're like, oh, you know what? I'm looking at something that's super expensive and I'm seeing a deal for 10% off. Now I need to get on it. Or is it like, eh, you know what? 10% is not enough. I'm going to wait for 20%. Like, or do you think there's like a hard, fast rule on, on how you would wait for a deal this spring? Um, the, the easy answer is no. I don't think there's a, a single rule that you can point to for any situation that we, you would apply for hunting deals. Um, mostly because, you know, people have different needs and, and variables in their own budgets. We always talk about, you know, what's a budget laptop? Well, if your budget is $300, then that's what a budget laptop is to you. Um, but if, if your budget is $1,000, hey, you've got different needs, you've got different things going on. For me, if I'm looking at something that I don't immediately have to have something that's just an upgrade or I just want and, and don't have an immediate use case for, I set a target price. Like. Mm. I think it was four or five years ago, I was looking to upgrade my main monitor because I'm a big multi-monitor guy. Mm. Um, and I wanted something that had an IPS panel that had at least 120 hertz uh, refresh rate and was an ultra-wide. And at this point, that was still a pretty premium, like $1,000 plus purchase. And I said, all right, if I can find one that looks like it's in good shape for below $700, then I pull the trigger and I buy it. And I did. I went on Craigslist and I got a used $600 Acer that fits all those all those criteria, and that's what I'm still using. Um, of course, now we've got all the OLEDs coming out that are making me absolutely drool, and I'm doing that same equation again. I'm not <laughs> sure exactly where my price uh, would be because, frankly, the setup I've got now is still perfectly functional, still still very attractive. So it would have to be a really, really good deal, a really, really good price to get me to do that again, but just to, to, to bring it back around. No, there's not one single rule you can apply to everything. It, it's different for everybody, for every situation. 
for whether you need it or not, to be perfectly honest. Well, and one of the most recent examples uh, that I can think of is that uh, we, we had a uh, uh, somebody we work with who had, had given a call and he's like, oh, hey, I need to get a laptop for my daughter. She's going off to college. I think that was the scenario. Uh, and she mm-hmm. wanted a MacBook. Uh, you know, I, I didn't discourage uh, him against it, uh, you know. If that's if that's what the daughter wants, that's what the daughter wants. Um, but he was he was looking around for deals, and he was like, "Oh crap, this looks like a great deal." Uh, it's uh, like you know, essentially what what ended up being like, "Oh, you don't have to pay for tax." And I was like, "I don't know if I would consider that a good deal." I mean, I guess in Apple Land because those things like very rarely <laughs> you know go on sale. You look at like the their their back to school sales and stuff like that, and you're just like, "That's a deal." Oh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> but well, even I, for even for Apple, you can always find two or three year old laptops that are still new machines and buy them at a considerable discount, and that's a deal. I, I, I guess, but you're still paying for an old machine, though. You would think the the price, you know, is going to adjust because it's older. I, it I all depends know. on what you yeah. need. If, yeah, yeah. if your if your daughter's going to school and she needs to write papers and watch YouTube videos, that'll do fine. Uh, if she's going and she needs to do, you know, computer aided design, yeah, you're going to have to look at what the specs are, what the yeah. discrete graphics are in there if you need it. Um, but like I said, you know, sliding scale on for just about everything. Right. Uh, well, uh, friend of the show, uh, Phil, uh, in the the chat says, uh, my GPU buying point is always doubled the performance. They went from a 1080 Ti to a 3080 to a 4090. Wow. Okay. So they're, they're like, oh, if I can get double the performance, that's when I'm in. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. It seems like a fair rubric to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, a funny question. Do you play counter-strike at all, Mike? Oh no, no, no I do okay. not have me the, the speed, the reflexes, the 13 year old on pixie sticks mindset to do well in those games. I played <laughs> overwatch for a long time and I was healer and support that's about where i am <laughs> well the the question from front of the show retro sean is uh how much of the constant complaining on the internet from gamers is actually re- the result of a lot of people spending all their time playing counter-strike and like and and then only to discover that things have moved on in the past 10 years i i think the the <laughs> the insinuation they're making is that hey the, it's an old game that's all you're playing and then you're you're angry about uh you know something in relation to that game uh you know, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I've brought this up before, but I've always been very much more of a dabbler. Like I'll, I'll put, mm-hmm. I'll put, you know, a handful of hours or a couple dozen hours into to a bunch of little games rather than like, like really focus everything into one game. Which, which are you, Mike? Are, are you somebody who just finds a game and just like dumps hundreds of hours into it, or are you playing around? Oh, I'm somewhere in the middle. To, not to give you the the least interesting, most wishy washy answer you could possibly give here, but like I think I put 150 hours into Baldur's Gate three this year. Uh-huh. Uh, something similar for Tears of the Kingdom, and then I've just been bits and pieces of other games as they come up. Okay. Uh, so I've got a few that I, I play more or less always. One of them being Hearthstone, which. I need to quit because they've been less and less respectful of people's time and money. Huh. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, turn, it flips those switches in your brain. You can't turn it off. Uh, yeah, no, we, we all need one of those like that uh, for sure. Um, okay. We got, we got an AT, uh, ATX question. Uh, we're going to hold on to that for later. 
here we go. Uh, Dr. Mm, Dr. Mm, Dirk MRK, DRK MRK. I don't know what that is. Uh, over on Discord, um, the 5800X 3D and the 5950X are about the same price right now. If you have an AM4 motherboard, which chip would be the better deal? An A-core chip with 3D V-cache for gaming or a 16-core uh, big chip for the, the master of multitasking? Um, that is a good question. And yeah, there was actually a chat. Uh, there was chatter in our Discord today about uh, maybe new uh, Ryzen 5000 parts, three, new Ryzen 5000 3D V-cache parts uh, coming out. Um and they were looking around at prices of the the parts that are already out, and they're like, "Oh my god!" I think somebody found like a fifty nine hundred X for like three ten or something like that. Like that's that's a wild deal. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, I I think it depends on the use case. Like if if you know you're just gaming, I mean a fifty eight hundred X three D, like hell yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's damn nice. I mean, but it's not just gaming. Like it can do, you know. Like I mean, it's going to be able mm-hmm. to do work and everything else you want it to. I feel like that's the that's the starting point, unless you know you need something with all those cores, right? Like for the most part, all those cores aren't really going to get you much in in gaming, uh, you know. And to to a certain degree, even content creation, like the it's not that the fifty eight hundred X three D is like a bad photo or video editing chip, for sure. I don't know how much more you would get out of having all the cores, but I mean, I guess if it's the same price, God, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more like the, if you know you need those cores, then you need those cores. But if you mm-hmm. don't think you'll ever need those cores, then they'll just be wasted. Um, that seems like a deep dive into a lot of uh, a lot of benchmarks research for me, just depending on what you need in your specific build. Yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. I mean, it still is crazy to think like like how cheap, you know, how how good CPUs you can get uh, for how cheap. Um, all right, we, we got a couple more here and then, uh, we're going to get out of here. Um, oh, a friend of the show, I, Ivan Ramnazov. Uh, sorry. I always butcher your name. One of these days I'll learn it. <laughs> um, we need a pro tip how to stop getting angry about PC news. Mike, as, as our, as one of our main right news writers on, on the website, uh, is, is there a way to stop getting angry about the news that's out there? Is it, would you recommend something to people who are, or just find themselves always constantly hopping on the outrage pony? I may be the wrong person to ask this question of because are you an outrage pony, right? Getting no, 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 no. I'm just saying that getting passionate about something is a way to engage with, with the topic you get in invested in the writing. And that's part of what I think makes a good story. Um, not, not wishing to intentionally piss people off, but if something is is affecting a lot of people negatively, you need to bring it to their attention and you need to communicate that effectively. On but the other hand, that's still different than talk- an outrage pony, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and coming at it from the other angle, we're talking about a hobby for the most part and a, a segment of consumerism that is largely inconsequential. Like there are I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, as they say, but there are far more important things out there in the world than exactly how fast your computer goes, than exactly how many frames you can get in Counter-Strike or even in Hearthstone. Wow. If you, 
if you find yourself getting too angry at something that you know you really shouldn't, it's just a matter of, of stepping back and looking at the perspective of it. Uh, Mike, I, I'm I'm sorry we we can't have you on the show again if if, if you can't get, if you're you're just gonna sit here and just like make fun of all of us getting so excited about hitting six gigahertz, uh, I'm, yeah I'm yeah jeez that's that's rough that's no I, and yeah no I I completely agree with you I think you have it you do have it at an interesting point because you specifically you you're going out and looking for stories uh you know and you're like okay what's you know this is an interesting story or maybe this is something that needs to be put out there where is that threshold for you uh you know and and how do you get through just just some people just like getting angry about something and be like is it is this actually a problem is this actually something you know we i need to bring to people's attention and if so like how how do you navigate that i guess I guess the deciding factor for me is was there a decision made somewhere in this process that was malicious? That was intentionally trying I don't want to say screw people over but like get more money out of someone than value what's put into it. Uh, the the NVIDIA thing with the two um, 4080 cards would be an excellent example. A lot of people thought, hey, this is a decision that NVIDIA is making because it's in a dominant market position and it thinks it can squeeze more money out of people that is not uh, in in keeping with the value that they are giving. And a lot of people got upset and NVIDIA took a step back and said, hey, we need to reevaluate here. Um, that is a story that people were interested in. It's something I think that, that needed to be presented in that context. If you're going out and say, hey, these, you know, RTX 4090 cards are are frying because of this cable is coming on, on loose and it's the worst thing ever and it's and people are intentionally you know blowing up your your power supplies your motherboards like no like nobody would destroy your computer with a thousand dollar part by choice like obviously it's a reason to be upset it's not a reason to you know declare that she'll never talk to these people again uh, there's this there's a level of of you know again, of of context and of, of clarity that you need to try and hang on to in all of these situations. Well, and, and I, I do think, uh, crap, somebody in the chat, uh, here we go, a friend of the show, Retro Sean, made a good point. 99.999% of the whining is that things cost too much. I I will say yes. <laughs> I think mo <laughs> most of the time, right? the 12 volt high power thing, I think, can be a little different because you know it's like hey are, is this a, a serious concern people should have like that could it catch fire could it actually like you know have some actual uh very you know damaging consequences versus people just being like well this is this is stupid uh you know i wish i wish the 4090 was only 10 bucks you know like yeah. so you know like uh yeah like I th I think those are kind of two different things, I guess, in my mind. But yeah, most of the time people are just like, well, it should have been this price. Well, I understand what it is, but it should have been this price because that's the only I mean, price I would pay for it. The way things are going, it's upset that you'd be, you know, it, it's it's understandable that you'd be upset that things are getting more expensive because nobody wants to spend more money than they need to. But if you're in the market for a graphics card that costs more than $1,000, this is... You can be upset, but also, again, context, please. If you can buy a $500 Steam Deck and play those games if you want to. 
you could go buy a PlayStation and play a lot of these games if you wanted to. Let's la 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 la. Gordon's in the chat. He's he's gonna reach out through. To <laughs> I get the last time I got really upset at the price of something. You know what it was? Eggs, gas. Very very close. It was it was a loaf of bread at my local supermarket. I looked <laughs> around, and there were like the special. It was like it was wheat bread sliced, nothing crazy, and it was four dollars and fifty cents. And I'm like, this is. This is not great. People need bread, and they need it for less than $4.50 a loaf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not, now I'm just bummed. Jeez, Mike. <laughs> no, I'm not going to eat my bread. I'm going to feel bad for eating bread. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that Star Screamer says, there you go. You just make your own bread. So, you know. <laughs> that was something I looked into, yes. You can get a, a bread maker and make it for like 50 cents a loaf. <laughs> Nice. Um, all right. Uh, last question, and, and we'll get out of here. Um, friend of the show, Star Screamus, uh, asks, which two dishes do you look forward to the most for Thanksgiving? Mike Crater. Well, gosh, you know, um, I only ever eat Eggs Benedict when I go home and see my family around this time. And you know why? Why? Because there's no place like home for the hollandaise. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. For, for the real answer, it's uh, my, my mother's, my grandmother's recipe for butterscotch pound cake. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> I, I had to, you broke my brain, Mike. I, I, I had to process. I was just like, I was like, really? For Thanksgiving? Why is that? And then, yeah. I was like, okay. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. What what was the real answer? <laughs> oh, it's it's my my grandmother's uh, butterscotch pound cake is what I really look forward to every year. Butterscotch pound cake, pound pound cakes the like the it's not angel food cake. What is it? It's 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 heavier. It's just a regular cake, and they call it pound cake because you put in a pound of I think it's a pound of flour, oh. and then it's just all the other ingredients. Man, well, um, I don't know why I can't think of a pound cake right now. You put it in one of those big giant donut looking things, uh, and and well, that's it. why I, yeah, that's I guess it. that's why I was thinking like angel food because when I think of like the donut shape, I think of like angel food mm-hmm. cake. Uh, <clears throat> huh? Interesting. Well, maybe I'll have to come over to your house to to try that out. I I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're getting some some good uh, comments here. Uh, friend of the show, Phil says pie and turkey. I mean, pie is definitely mm-hmm. one of mine. Like. I can't have Thanksgiving without pie. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Gordon said mashed potatoes and gravy. Like, yeah, mashed potatoes is like a staple. Uh, Willis mm-hmm. says prime rib. Uh, look at look at this Willis just sitting there throwing the the money down for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no. I, I mean, for me, like, I think if there was two things, if you just sat me down, and you're like, hey, I can only have two things for. Um, for Thanksgiving, what would it be? Yeah, it'd probably be mashed potatoes and gravy. And well, if you consider that one thing, I'm considering mashed potatoes and gravy. That's definitely thing. a dish. Like, yeah. yeah, mashed potatoes and gravy, pumpkin pie. Like okay. if I if I could just sit down and have that as a meal, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, it's a heavy I'm, meal. I'm, I'm not fine. I just mean <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, you've got zero vegetables. You've got zero gravy, or you've got you've got zero protein in there. A lot of starch. 
Hey, you know, uh, to each their own. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let me bring up the notes and we're going to get out of here. Check back next week for your fix of PC talk on the full nerd. Uh, actually, you know what? Before I continue, uh, a couple things that I, I do want to mention. Uh, I just lined up the guest for next week's show. I'm very excited uh, about it. I, I don't want to jinx it, uh, but it sounds like next w- I got. I want to be specific. Next uh, Tuesday, the twenty first, November twenty first at eleven a.m. Uh, I think I have lined up uh, Alex Batalia from Digital Foundry. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter in our Discord about you know games and uh, ray tracing and all that kind of stuff. And you know, somebody's like, "Oh, you should have somebody who's knowledgeable on the subject on." And Alex is definitely one of those people. So I'm excited to talk to him. Uh, hopefully he can he can shed some insight i think he he has an interesting role where he's like he understands development something i do not uh but is also not an active developer and more on the consumer side and kind of looking at these things Uh, and i i really like that um that angle that he's in uh we have that uh also uh yeah a couple things uh like for the rest of the year obviously there's not many weeks left uh, in the year so you know we're, we're still figuring out a bunch of stuff but uh, we're talking about um there is an amd event that maybe we'll, we'll be able to do a live stream from uh, asus has this uh this little event down at their headquarters here called pc diy day where they're like you know uh uh celebrating all things uh pc and diy uh, and it sounds like we're going to be there doing some uh, live stream stuff around that uh, obviously, we have the the last two uh, full nerd episodes of the year, which is always fun, where we crown like the the best of the year and then talk about prediction stuff. So, yeah, it's crazy crazy that we only have a couple couple weeks left uh, in this year. Oh, oh, and then also a live stream PC build, hopefully for December, um, which is going to be a boba themed PC with a special guest. Uh, I'm I'm excited. Uh, Are you so. going to use tea for the liquid cooling? That would be very cool. We'll see. You'll have to tune in, Mike. Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. I'm, I'm going to get back over to my notes. Uh, just want to say there's a lot of a lot of stuff we're we're trying to get going. Oh, and also at the same time, I'm actively booking for CES next year. So, uh, yeah, lot, lots of stuff going on. Uh, to listen to this podcast on the go, please subscribe to us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube Music, Pocket Casts, or anywhere you can point uh, this RSS feed to. Uh, if you are on one of those services, please leave us a review. Every time you do, um, we get a new side dish for Thanksgiving. It just shows up on our plate, and we get to eat it. So I, I would appreciate you leaving more reviews. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank uh, Norm Chan from from Tested uh, for coming on the show. Uh, Norm, I, I've been following Norm for for years. It was awesome to to finally get a chance to talk to him, um, and we'll definitely have him on on the show again because I was just like I was like, oh no, uh, we are running out of time, and I have still have so many questions. <laughs> so I, I mean, I could have gone two hours alone on the the Steam Deck stuff. Um, but thank you, Norm, for, for stopping by. And thank you, Mike Kreider, for uh, for joining as well. I, I know it was kind of last minute, so I, I appreciate it. No problem. I have a blast every time I come on. Yeah, and thank, uh, thank you for watching. Uh, and tune in next week. Uh, and until then, stay cool. Goodbye. <laughs>